The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, happy December to you all. If you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, if you're new here at LifePoint, let me welcome you. My name's Eric, uh, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here. And if you haven't figured out, uh, we are having a full family worship December. All right, so we're having all the families, uh, no kids uh, service, no kids ministries uh, through this month. And so let me uh, just right up front uh, address uh, the parents. And so uh, moms and dads in the, in the house, let me just uh, comfort you for a moment that here at LifePoint Church, that we love kids. All right, we love kids and we understand all the noises and the squirming and the ups and downs and the craziness that is uh, kids. And we, we love, we love to see kids in action here at the church. And so no matter what's happening, what, whatever noises that are happening or whatever action is going on around you, it's all good. Amen. Everyone say it's all good. All right, and, and now kids, if you if you're a kid in this place, normally uh, you go back with Miss Taylor and you uh, do some amazing things and you learn about the gospel. Uh, but I want to tell you that this morning, like this is what we do while you're back there, and and we open this word because we believe that this is the word of God, and, and we believe that that the Holy Spirit empowers us to understand and apply this word to our lives. And so we're going to read from the Bible today, and we're going to ask God to really help us uh, grow in understanding him. It says that the, that, the, that the gospel was given so that we would have a deeper, fuller relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing, uh, and that's what we need is the good news. Amen? All right. I think of back at uh, these, uh, these last several months, really this whole year, and, and, and if we're honest, we see a lot of dark days. Uh, when, we, when we think about, you know, 2020, you know, you see all the jokes and all the memes, like this is the worst year ever, uh, right? But because we, we've been in this kind of this slow-moving pandemic, and we've, we've, we've experienced some really heartache, and we've experienced a, a controversial election, and we've experienced uh, a quarantines and separation and lack of community and, and, and the, the, the mask debate and all, all the dark shadows over this entire season. So now we come in uh, to Christmas, and all of a sudden we're supposed to be joyful, Right, And all of a sudden, it's supposed to be like, oh, well, none of that's really going on. Uh, but we come into December and we come into winter. Uh, and, and really what happens uh, 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 systematically is that, is that dark days get darker, right? I mean, we set our clocks back. The sun goes down at like, like 3 p.m. or something. And it's like, oh, my gosh, uh, you know, I'm ready for bed. And so what happens is, is Advent uh, begins in this dark, dark season to declare a message to us uh, that many of us often just, just ignore. And it is a message of hope. Everyone say hope. We need a message of hope. And so let me remind you, uh, even in the very darkest of days, that is when the light shines the brightest. Amen? And so maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, uh, outside of this room, right, it, it's dark. I, I've kind of walked in, I put this mask on, I put this face on. I mean, I think I have a pretty good outfit. And so, so people may not see through the fact that I am really struggling right now, may not see through the fact that really I'm, I'm in some dark moments right now. And so you've come in in a great, great Sunday because we're starting our season of Advent. And Advent just simply means arrival, means coming. That's a weird word, Advent. Never used it when I was growing up. I didn't understand what it was. Advent, it's a season of, of preparation. 
It's this idea of, of something is coming, like, like we are anticipating an arrival, a season of preparation, uh, and a celebration of Christmas. And, and so for many of us, this is a chance for us to really start to, uh, to refocus or regain some, some spiritual uh, determination. And, and so what happens is we come to this season, which is maybe the darkest of the year, and we need to be ready for a coming or an arrival. Psalm 42, verse 5, this is, a, this is a passage that is dear to my heart. It says, it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And so the writer of the psalm, he's, he's looking at himself, he's looking at his environment, he's looking at his heart within, and he's speaking to his soul. And he says, soul, why are you so weary? I'm looking at you right now. It's like, it's like an inward mirror and I'm looking at my situation. I'm looking at 2020. I'm looking at this, all this stuff that's going around. And he says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Listen, we've all been there. Amen. Why are you cast down? But listen to what he says. Hope in God. Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He says to himself, why are you so weary? Why are you so cast down? Why is my heart so much in turmoil? What's wrong with you, soul? Hope in God. The message that we need to preach to ourselves Day in and day out, every morning, every evening, is hope in God. Why? Why would that be so important, Eric? Well, hoping in God does not come naturally for sinners like us. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. It's not something that we're bent towards. The, the Bible says that we're actually born, uh, bent towards iniquity. We're bent towards sin. We're bent toward selfishness. We're bent towards transgression. We're bent toward anything other than God. And so he's saying, why are you bending this way? Hope in God. We must be a people who preach to ourselves diligently and forcefully. Or what's going to happen is we will give way to a downcast spirit. We will give way to a heart that is in turmoil. So let me tell you, the best sermon, the best sermon you could preach to yourself this Christmas season is three words. Hope in God. And so families, listen, with your kids here today, encourage them, hope in God. Kids, tell your parents day in and day out, mommy, daddy, hey, grandma, grandma, hey, hope in God is the best message. I, lay up, I love the way the psalmists wrestle and fight with themselves. You ever fight with yourself? You ever tell yourself, what are you doing? He, he, he wrestles and he says, hope in God. Listen, that's a normal Christian experience, by the way. In case you're wondering, sometimes you look around a room like this and you're like, oh, that guy must never struggle. Oh, that, that, that girl, I mean, she, she's just always on the top of the mountain. You know, she's always faithful, like, like she's never doubting. Well, well let me just tell you, there, that's wrong. Right? There, there's those days 
There's, there's moments that you have to continue to press in, that you have to continue to wrestle, to hope, hope in God. And so my prayer as we move through this season of Christmas is, is to hope in God. And I pray that God would fill our reservoirs with, with, with hope and, and, and boldness and endurance for the glory of God. And so we need to ask the most basic question as we get in this series is, what is hope? Everyone say, what is hope? What is hope? What is that? We use that word all the time. You use it in your everyday language. Oh, I hope there's no traffic. Not just the Webster's Dictionary of Hope, but a biblical definition of hope. Children might say, you know, I hope, I hope grandma can come over for Christmas this year. And you might say, well, I hope she brings that famous apple pie. And others might say, well, in order for that to happen, a cure is our only hope. So we use this word hope, 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 hope. But ordinarily when they express hope, we're expressing uncertainty. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I really wish for this. I'm not really sure how it's going to turn out, but I hope it turns out good. So, so listen, this uncertainty is not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something in the future, but biblical hope is a confident expectation. It is a desire for something good in the future with great confidence. Biblical hope is not just, oh, I hope it really turns out good of expecting something to happen. But biblical hope is a confidence that it will happen. There is a certainty in those children of God who are born again by the Spirit of God. There's a, there's a certainty that what we expect from God will be done. And let me tell you, that's different than mathematical or logical uh, uh, laws, right? It, it's a certainty that is rooted in the commitment of the will of God. And if God is committed to his will, then his will will be done. And so if we know that God, who is faithful, is committed completely to his promises for his church and for his people, then we can be confident in a hope that says his will will be done. We are confident in that. And so when the word of the Bible says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers and, and just, just wish for the best. It means we can certainly expect Great things from God. Let me show you this in Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer uh, at the end, it, he encourages the readers to press on to spiritual maturity, which is what we want, which is what we want from our, our kids' ministry. It's what we want from every ministry that goes on here is, is that you and I would, wherever we are, whether we're at the foundational level, infant level, or, or a teen level, or a spiritual mature level, is this idea that we are to press forward into some type of spiritual maturity. And so he, he's encouraging people grow in, 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 in spiritual maturity, grow into Christ, 
And then chapter 6 kind of starts one of the scariest passages in all of the scripture because the text is going to say that it's possible for people to have these religious experiences and not be saved. It, It starts to talk about how it's possible for people to like do church and experience some some spiritual things, but then in the end not know the Lord. And the reason why we say that is because of the illustration that he gives in chapter six, verse seven. He says, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it, the land, bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near being cursed and in the end is to be burned. Now let me talk to you real quick. What This picture is the fact that God makes it rain on the land. We would say that rain is from God. No one can make it rain. God makes it rain on the land and on part of the land it grows a crop and on other part of the land Thorns and thistles. So it's not talking about coming to faith in Jesus as a young child or coming to faith in Jesus as a young adult and then somehow losing a salvation that you once for death. It doesn't say that the rain fell and then a crop came and then the crop died and then thorns and thistles came. It's saying that it rained and some will produce a crop and some will not. The reference is that it is possible, hear me, it is possible for you to experience rain from God and possible for you to experience spiritual things. Go to church and even bear witness to God's power and God's goodness and experience rains and still not be saved. To know spiritual things, how it works, how it doesn't work, and still not have a genuine born-again experience with God. It says that God will allow the rain to fall on the land of the people, and God will permit some to be born again, and they will produce a crop, and they will receive a blessing, while others will experience rain from God, and they'll produce thorns, and they'll be cast out. So it leads us to a very personal question for you this morning. If you're not saved, would you want to know? And if you knew you weren't, would you want to be? That's what we ask ourselves. Where am I in my relationship with God? What does my life reflect? I believe the writer of Hebrews and God himself wants you to have full assurance of hope, a confidence, a full confidence in the hope of your salvation. And you might be asking the question, which I hope you are, Eric, how do you know that this illustration is actually talking about eternal life and salvation in Jesus Christ? Because of the very next verse in verse nine. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, 
we feel sheer of better things, things that belong to salvation, fruit that comes from salvation, a crop that is produced when it comes to salvation. For God is not unjust to overlook the work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope. Everyone say hope. We want you to, to seek assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, let me clarify something. This is not saying that we love and we serve in order to be saved. It's saying that we love the Lord and we serve the Lord because we are. There's a difference. We do not work out our salvation uh, because we feel like we can earn some merit before God. We don't clean ourselves up, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, buckle down and do better, try harder, be a better man, be a better woman, so that somehow God would somehow be pleased with us. Listen, we are dead in our sin. We are dead in our trespasses. There's nothing we can do to somehow save or redeem ourselves. We need a Savior to come and cleanse us and pick us up from our dead wash us clean, make us his very own, and make us born again. And when that truly happens, our life transforms from the inside out. So now it's not, I just do these things so I can earn some favor with God. I do these things because God has chosen me to be his very own, and I'm overwhelmed with worship, and so I have to love and serve. It glorifies God in his salvation. Love and service is the crop produced by salvation. It's the crop that is produced. The reason the writer is so sure of, of better things for these people that, that belong to salvation is not only that they, uh, when they came to Christ, when they came to faith, when they started this relationship with God, not only did they love the Lord and love to serve and love to give and love to be a part, but, but, but they keep doing it today. Verse 10, it says, as you still do. Remember when you came to faith in Jesus and your love for Jesus just began to overflow? And that's continuing. That is a sign of a crop. It shows that their religious experience was not a temporary decision. I know a lot of people that maybe have made a temporary decision Follow the Lord. Maybe it was made by parents or some emotional response at a camp or a Christian concert or something like that. When God grabs hold of your heart, when the Holy Spirit grabs hold and he says, you are mine, and you say, but, but, but I am, I am broken. He says, you are mine, but, but, but I, yeah, I've done things. No, 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 you are mine, but I, I'm, I've fallen short. No, you're mine, but I've, and Jesus says, I've washed you. By my stripes, you are healed. 
By my blood, you are saved. I made the sacrifice in your place. The death that you deserve to die, Jesus died for you so that all who would believe and come to faith would be born again. And so the work of God unto salvation is produced and a love for his name is produced because it says, I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. And so my worship overflows into, hey, I love God. I love God's people. I love his mission. I love the gospel. I love sharing the glory of God with the world. And that is the crop, the genuineness of salvation. But now... This earnest battle of love and service is described as hope. He says hope, verse 11. He says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness that you love and serve with, the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. In other words, with all the zeal that you had in the past, to love Christ and to serve Christ. That same zeal, I want you to keep on pursuing. I want you to keep on grabbing hold of. I want you to keep on earnestly pursuing hope in God. Don't stop hoping in God. Don't just simply love or serve because you think it earns you some favor. He says hope in God. Keep hoping, keep pressing, keep grabbing hold of the confidence that you have in God. Don't stop. He says, even more so, now that we look back in our situation in 2020, he says, right now, he says, hope in God. Be earnest with that. There is a hope that is fully assured. There is a hope that is confidence. There is a hope that has certainty in it. It's not a finger-crossing hope. It's not the kind of hope that you have when you watch your team at the end of the game. Oh, I really hope he makes this shot. Oh, I really hope that we win. It is a certainty hope. Verse 12 implies that faith and hope are almost synonymous. Verse 11 says, go hard after full assurance of hope. Verse 12 says, the result of that pursuit will be like those who through faith and patience inherit promises. There's a, there's, a, there's a connection there. He says, pursue hope like the men of faith pursued hope. Pursue hope like, like the promises of God, like eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. The term full assurance is actually found one other place in the book of Hebrews, which is chapter 10, verse 22. However, there it says, Draw near to God with full assurance of faith instead of full assurance of hope. In 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart with full assurance of faith. Verse 23 in chapter 10, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Everyone say hope. Holds fast to this confession of hope without waiting. This confession that I'm confident in God. This confession that God's promises are coming. That I'm holding fast to this full assurance of hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. I hold on to hope. Not 
because I'm faithful. I hold on to hope because he's faithful, even when I'm not. My confidence, if my confidence lies with my behavior or my performance, it's not hope. It's a wishy hope. It's not a biblical confident hope. But if my hope lies in the one who is faithful, it is a confident hope that says, he who promised, it will happen. He who promised will happen. Notice, hope in this passage is not something that should waver because it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. That is the greatest news for all of the world to receive. That my hope of the promised relationship, eternal salvation in Jesus Christ alone is not based on my own faithfulness, but it is based on the faithfulness of God. And he who promised is faithful. Our confidence comes from the fact that God is the one who promised, that God is the one who's always faithful. And his guarantee and his oath and his promise was sealed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is proved by the empty tomb of the resurrection. Eternal life, how can I be sure? Because his blood sealed it and his tomb is empty. And that we can step into the confidence that he who calls us is faithful. There should be a confidence because the will and the purpose of God is not written on chalk that can be washed away with the rain when it comes. But it's sealed by his blood. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Listen to this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith and hope are not the same thing, but they are synonymous. Where, when, wherever there is full assurance of hope, there's faith. Does that make sense? Faith is the full assurance of hope. Faith is our confidence in the promises of God. That whenever that promise is referenced to the future, you call it hope. I can look back by faith and understand that the, the world was made through the, through the word of God. I can look back in faith and trust that, that he has, has worked out my salvation through Jesus Christ. I can have faith in that. But I have hope that he who promised to come and receive me, bring me to himself, to seal me, to wash me, to cleanse me, to make me purified, to glorify me in his presence, that's hope. Hope is faith in future tense. Hope is faith in future tense. Eric, I'm not sure I'm getting it. Okay, one last example, Romans chapter 4. We see faith and hope working itself out. In Romans chapter 4, Paul describes Abraham as a great example of faith. He's the father of faith. Particular justification by faith. Justification. Being made right before God. How is a sinner like me made right before God? Do I have to 
work some system? Do I have to go to church enough? Do I have to pray enough? Do I have to do enough things? Do I have to work the tabernacle? Do I have to give away my possessions? What, what do I have to do in order to be made right before God? What's the checklist? The answer, faith. Period. Justified by faith alone that comes through the gift, the grace of Jesus Christ alone. And I believe, I put my faith, I put my trust in Jesus alone for that salvation and I am justified. Now look at Romans 4, 20. Talking about Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he, Abraham, grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, verse 21, fully convinced. Faith that is fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, he had what Hebrews 6.11 would call the full assurance of hope. Remember Abraham? Abraham was promised a son, but he was so old, there's like, there's no way. I'm over 100 years old. My wife is barren. She can't have any kids. And God said, you know what? You're gonna be the father of a great nation. Through your line, I'm gonna give you a son. And so he trusted God because God is faithful to his promise. And so, and so he, was, he had full assurance of hope. In verse 18, it describes how faith and hope work together. It says, in hope, he believed against hope. Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Against hope means from the ordinary human viewpoint, there is no hope. Maybe you're here today and you look at your situation, you look at maybe the darkness of your heart, you look at maybe the things that you've done, you look at the, the scenario that's going on in our nation, and from a human standpoint, you would say, there's no hope. Abraham could look at his old age, look at his wife, and say, there's no hope. Hope against hope is having a confidence that he who promised is faithful. That's hope against hope. When, when it does, it becomes the full assurance of hope. And whenever hope rests on the promised word of God, we call it faith. I believe that he who promises faithful, whenever there is full assurance of hope, there is faith. Faith is the full assurance of hope. Biblical hope is not this ordinary concept we use in everyday speech. It doesn't imply uncertainty or lack of assurance. Biblical hope is the confident expectation, the desire that he who promised is faithful. We are confident in what God has promised. Look at how it ends. I'm gonna close with this. 
Romans 4, verse 22 again. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for who? For us. This full assurance of hope, I'm writing you what it looks like to have faith and hope in the promises of God. I'm telling you about Abraham. I'm telling you about Christ. I'm telling you about the promises of God. And this was written not for just his story, but for your story. But for ours also, it will be counted to us. All of us? No, those who believe. It will be, will be, it will be. That's the promise. That's the promise. It will be, it will be, it will be counted to you as righteous for those who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord who was delivered up for our sins and our trespasses and all your wrongdoings and all of your evil thoughts and all of your wicked ways and raised to life for our justification, our right standing before God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith, not by anything we've done, anything to boast about, only faith into his grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in, what's that word? Hope. Now we go from faith to hope, synonymous, in hope, of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Biblical hope, being confident in the promises of God does not put you to shame. You don't look foolish before God, you look faithful. Promise, he who promises faithful. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this faith and this hope, it's not just something that we can just conjure up. We need God to fill us with faith, fill us with hope. And so why are you so downcast on oh, my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. That's the message. Hope in the glory of God. End this year with a confidence in God and God's faithfulness that he who started the good work will see it to completion. Isn't it good to know that the hope of Christmas doesn't require everything to be calm and bright? I think maybe the the writer of Silent Night lied to us. All is calm. All is bright. No. When Jesus was born in the manger, all was not calm. All was not bright that first Christmas. 
the light of Christ in that first advent. It dawned in the days of deep, deep darkness. In Luke 1, 78 and 79, Zechariah prophesies his coming and says, he came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Okay, look at me for just a moment. That cannot be more true today. Jesus came to give light to those of you who are sitting here in darkness. Jesus came to be light in what seems to be your shadow of death. That's where God's people were that first Christmas. They dwelled in darkness, waiting for the Savior to come in hope. He who promised is faithful. Jesus didn't come to a world that is full of comfort and joy. Jesus came to bring peace to a world at war. Jesus came to bring true comfort to a world that is distressed. The announcement of good news of great joy was given to those who are drowning in their sorrow. The good news of great joy was given to those who are downcast in their souls, whose hearts were in turmoil within them. Jesus came as a light shining in the darkness. Advent means coming and arrival. And so today we look back at his first coming and we receive his coming, his deliverance, his salvation, his life, his death, his resurrection. We receive that by faith and we're justified before God. But today, may we seek with great earnestness the full assurance of hope that Jesus is coming again. And he will make all things new. And if we would just cling to that promise and that confidence, we too will be with him in paradise. Hope in God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there are a million distractions against hope. There's a million shadows. There's a million sins. There's a million wayward thoughts and motives and actions. Lord, but you came in the middle of every one of our sorrows, in the middle of every one. And God, 
You tell us with your word that you demonstrate your love for us in that while we were sinners, you died. So Jesus, today, I pray on behalf of this church, on behalf of these families, on behalf of every man and woman and child, that today we would take hold of this Holy Spirit gift of full assurance of hope. Lord, today, there may be some sitting here simply don't know what it means to trust you. So God, I pray that right now they would call out like one in the wilderness, like one who's lost their way, that they would from the depths of their heart and the depths of their soul cry out with their lips, We as a church cry out, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come into my life. Come into my life. Come. I believe, I trust you alone can save. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord, give me faith. Give me hope to stand for all of my days on your promise that you would never leave and never forsake me. That you would seal me for eternity. Jesus, Oh, Lord, come. We wait. Great anticipation. Oh. Lord, we love you. You lead us by your spirit in Jesus' name. And...